And today's reading is from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 34. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot, ha you cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for soil, for the manure of the heap. It is thrown out. Whoever, hears, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. God, our Father, as we've sung, so we pray that your word with its life by your spirit will change our hearts and minds today that you will shape who we are and who we will be by its glorious truth and by the depths of your grace. Speak now, Lord, for the glory of your name. Amen. Do you take seats? Well, um, 200 years ago, at great cost, both of time and resources, this building was built um, bankrolled by primarily the vicar and a builder and a lawyer. The lawyer I'm not surprised about. Builders probably know how to get good deals. But vicars, you can tell a lot's changed in 200 years that, uh, that they should be the main bankroll of the church. But um, it was built by a group of people who had a passion for people and a passion for the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, they believed, as I do, that there is no more important thing for a human life than to know Jesus Christ, the one who makes God visible to us, the one who makes God known to us, the one who makes a way to God possible for us. There is no more important person to know with a human, for a human being. And uh, they wanted this community, as it grew up 200 years ago, to be built around, that, around a building where that message would be heard, where people could find the forgiveness that will deal with the guilt and regrets that cripple lives and still do, to find a purpose that transforms uh, the mundane, meaningless existence that people have without him into one of eternal purpose and significance. And ultimately to find hope, a hope that will guide them into a fruitful life and give confidence in eternity beyond death. Uh, and in our culture that has so little hope to put hope at the heart of a community. 
And this church exists because Jesus is good news for people. That is the only reason it was worth spending the money. And even in this generation, you know, 20 years ago when the refurbishments happened, the only reason to spend a couple of million to enable this place to be a center of hope so people could find Jesus Christ and find in him the love, the joy, the peace, and the future that he promises. And so if you're a guest today and you've not been, if this is your first time and it is my first time here, then not only are you hugely welcome, but you need to know that this place is for you. This people are here for you. And if you're a member of this community or just a visitor from another place, they're here for you because the message of Jesus is good news for all people. And the good news isn't something you have to earn or deserve or attain to or work yourself up to. It is a free gift, a gift of his love or in the jargon, a gift of his grace. And you've got Jesus' word on it. In fact, I'm at the end of a series. I know it's great to have a tough passage at the end of four great ones before. We can blame Tom for that. But in the passage just before that was looked at last week or the week before, um, in verses 15 to 24, Jesus told a parable of a great banquet. And one of the points of the picture of the great banquet, with many guests invited, was that even the lowest and the least and the most left out eventually were invited in to find the love and the hope and the life of God, freely offered if they would accept the invitation. Although the tragedy that those who were here last time will have heard is that not everybody wants this. In fact, probably 98% of Hampstead don't consciously want this incredible hope, joy, love and peace that Jesus offers. Or they'd be here, although they wouldn't fit in. But we could cope in the message of life. And the tragedy in the parable from last week is that Jesus warns them that you know, this free invite, if you can't be bothered to enjoy it, if you can't be bothered to receive it, if you put other things ahead of it, like getting a new field or buying some new cows, or, you know, new car, probably an equivalent, or, or a new relationship, things that you would have plenty of time to enjoy at another time, to reject an invitation when God says, come near because I'm here for you, is, is one of the most foolish things you can do. There is no use being offered a free winning lottery ticket if you never go and cash it in. Or even worse, have a wonderful person stand before you and say, will you marry me? And turn around and go, no. No. And that's where this message today fits in. Because if somebody does propose to you, it cannot but change you. True love does that. But true love does have a cost. Your life can never be the same again if somebody comes to share your life in every moment. I mean, you know, you may ask the question, why do people who are engaged spend hundreds of pounds on rings? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not saying, well, unless you give me something that's worth enough, I'm going to change my mind. Saying, mm, no, a bit bigger, please, otherwise. No, it isn't a cost thing to bribe people into marriage. On the contrary, what you usually find, or I usually find, is people that are in love go probably beyond what they can afford to do something beautiful and wonderful because love does that. It's exuberant. It's, it's larger than life. It's, um, you put yourself second to the idea of what you want to share. That's why this is this big, because the people that love this community wanted everybody to fit in. 200 years ago, you probably could have done that but they had an exuberance of life 
that they wanted to share. People in love freely go to extraordinary lengths to please the one they love, and there's no burden in it. So what's worth today? If God is making this proposal to us, an offer of eternal life with him, of love and purpose and hope and joy and peace, what's it worth? And Jesus says, look, I want, to, I want you to know what the T's and C's are, the terms and conditions, the small print, because this life is glorious, but actually it will change you, and you need to know how and why and what the cost is going to be. So that if you receive this, you will know what you are worth. And Jesus says there in the reading we had, verse 26, the first cost is going to be in your relationships. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, it's pretty extreme. Are we really called to hate others as Christians? Well, uh, the context is clear that Jesus isn't talking in terms of, um, he's talking here about comparisons, not absolutes. He's, he, he's very famous for saying, love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all your heart. He's not saying you go around hating people, but he's saying in comparison to the other stuff you love in your life, God's got to be first. This love is too big to put on the back burner and in the margins of your life. Jesus is saying if our love for anything else comes before loving him, even in our families, then we won't truly be his disciples because we'll have diminished the love of the God that made us to second place to other stuff. Because what can be more important than to know the God who loves you? Now, God is just being as possessive here as people are in marriage. I mean, one of my jobs is to support churches who have a traditional understanding of family life, who are committed to relationships that are committed for life, for example, of a husband and a wife. But yet we don't find it offensive if a fiancé in a relationship says, if you love any other woman more than me, you can't be my wife or husband. You know, we don't, that's not offensive, is it, to say that I can't play second fiddle to somebody if you want to share your life with me. God says the same. We need to get priorities right. Jesus knew there were plenty of people in the crowd that were following him, which is what he mentions in verse 25, the large crowds. There were plenty who were on the Jesus bandwagon. But only few who would really put him first. You know, when we say God is love, it's a real love. We don't mean God is therapy or God to help you out when he's in need. We mean God is love. And love doesn't brook any rivals. Love doesn't say I'm willing to compromise with a load of other people. Love says this is all of me for all of you. So being a Christian today will... Affect your relationships with other people. It cannot not do if you're truly a disciple, Jesus is saying. And in this country, that's not as hard as it is in other places. In Afghanistan today, if you convert to Christianity, you face the death penalty. That's a big choice. In Sudan, in the north, where Christian faith, if you declare Christian faith, it will guarantee you not only serious persecution, it will guarantee you homelessness. It will take away your property. You know, there are people around the world for whom following Jesus comes at great cost. Looking around and knowing some of you have, have come from Hong Kong, we know in China the cost of faith has often come at great sacrifice to many people. But here in the UK, what's the cost? Well, social embarrassment maybe. For young people, it's politically hard, the stigma of saying you follow Jesus in a world that wants to 
to embrace just about everything and anything else. And tragically, in the face of that cost, even sometimes Christians can fall into the trap of saying, well, I, I, I want to take away the pressure. I want to I put Christianity at the end of the list of the other things that I think are more important. Like, I, I mean, for my children, I'd rather have they make sure they have a good career and, and, you know, secure and enough money and resources and a good education and a, and, and a good job. And once they've got those, then they can fit their Christianity in after that. Well, there are good things to aspire to, but to quote Jesus, what's the point in gaining the whole world if you lose your soul? This is love we're talking about. This is a God who is passionate in his love, a God who's real in his love, a God who's bothered about what you love because he loves you. In the end, this Christian faith, it's not a lifestyle choice, it's a love affair, and that will change your relationships. Uh, but there's another cost, Jesus goes on to say, because there in verse 27, it'll also cost you your reputation. Anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And I say, well, there's another horrible thing to say. Carrying your cross was the way you humiliated people before they would go to their death penalty to be tortured to death by the Romans. It was a way that while you carried your cross, people would mock and jeer and abuse and throw stuff at you before you would ultimately lose your life. And remember, Jesus at this point knows exactly that that's what's going to happen to him. The disciples he's talking to didn't know that yet. They didn't know he was actually literally going to do this for them. But Jesus knew what loving them was going to cost him. Jesus knew what loving you was going to cost him because somebody needed to take the consequences of our rebellion and our failure to love God and bear its cost in himself. He was going to die. But he challenges the people and say, well, you know, what's your reputation like compared to that? Will you risk, you know, your carefully crafted Facebook image for the sake of me? It still happens. It happens in our culture. I mean, think about Kate Forbes or Tim Farron, who's public Christianity limited their influence, in fact, denied them both the top jobs they aspired to. We have a culture that is anti-Christian in key parts of it. But then, if you love someone, you're not going to let somebody be uh, diminished just for your own personal ambition. Love will sacrifice even reputation, for the sake of what's right. Uh, next week's remembrance, and um, I guess here, like in many places around the country, we'll be thinking about the cost of war and what it cost. My grandfather was in the First World War, uh, which, you know, I know it would look like, how could that be? But he, was, he lied about his age at 15. Um, from Scotland, he went to fight, to eat. They all knew he was 15, so they put him on runner duty, and um, in the Battle of Ypres, he was seriously and life-changingly wounded. Both his arms were shattered. Um, it, he was a bright man, but it hospitalized him for so long. The one good thing was that he then met my grandmother, who was a nurse, nursed him, partly back to health, and so the, a good story came out of a horrible situation. But I remember as a teenager asking him, 
um, asking me, you know, Grandad, why did you do it? Why did you go to war knowing you'd be risking that at the age of 15? He said, I did it for you. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I believed that freedom was going to cost something. I did it for the future, for you, for the family, for the generations to come. And when you have that vision of what matters most, you're willing to risk everything for it. Jesus is such good news that he literally risked everything for it. And for whom? For you. For me. For people who might not even noticed. When I was an atheist, I wasn't bothered about Jesus. I didn't think he had any sense of knowing who I was or bothered about anything I did. And yet, he still did it when I was still his enemy. He was still willing to give his life for me. That's love. That's Jesus' message. That's what you've got printed around here. I was going to mention it. I didn't realize I'd have the text written on the wall uh, and not just on the screen. God loved the world so much. God loved you, me, so much that he gave his only son that soever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That sentence from the John's Gospel, John chapter 3, 16, that is the sentence that is translated into more languages than any other sentence in the whole world. That is the most translated sentence because it sums up the best news ever for this world. God would give his life to rescue us from the selfish mess that we make of it, from our loveless isolation and from our pointless living. He cares that much to give himself for us. So that's why things like family, stuff, reputation come second. And if you're any doubt that this love goes that deep and that passion is so real, he goes all the way. Because the cost is personal. It's personally ours, but all of us. Verse 33, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And he illustrates that with these two vivid images. He says, you know, don't start building unless you know that you're going to be able to finish it. I mean, that would have been crazy if 20 years ago they started digging out underneath or sort of clearing up underneath. And then having stripped out the whole building, thought, oh, well, we can't actually ever put a new floor back in and actually make it all work again. You'd be an idiot. Don't start building without planning the cost. Don't go to war if you've got no hope of winning. That's verse 31, 32. The cost may mean sacrifice for you, for me, all that we have, maybe relationships, maybe our time, our money, our home, but giving them up. But if you are in love with somebody and if he's in love with you then this isn't going to be a cost it's going to be our joy now um, I'm from Manchester so um, I've made the right choice of the two big football teams in that I've been a Manchester City fan even when they were in the um, lower divisions and um, when it wasn't trendy to be but and I know down here you've got all sorts of alternative teams. Don't quite make it up there, but I'll forgive you that. But there are lots of football experts, aren't they? But what's a real football expert? There is a huge difference between a spectator and a player. Spectators are pretty committed. 
They go regularly because they want to. They understand the rules. They cheer others on. And outwardly, they can be actually bearing quite a lot of cost. Season tickets, wow, they're really up there these days, aren't they? Maybe you don't, if you don't know, they really are. But, but are they the real experts? Because the difference between the spectators and the players, the players are the ones whose commitment is on the field. It costs the shape of their lives. They exert themselves. They're committed not just for their personal pleasure in sport, but for the sacrifices necessary to let the team win. Christianity is not a spectator sport. That's Jesus' point. It's, this is calling us to be players on his team, calling us to be part of his family, to be members of his body, to be part of this bigger thing that he is doing in the world that is changing things. And the cost bites personally. It bites today, on a Sunday, the gathering of Christians. Why? To build each other up, to share what's good in the community around. But you've borne the cost of not having a lion. I mean, you could have had a lion. Plenty of other people have to. Could have gone for a nice walk on the heath. You could, you could have um, been playing in the Sunday Soccer League or looking around maybe on the golf course, perhaps. It means a choice, and it means saying the welfare of others, the welfare of God's people, building them up is more important to me than what it costs just for me. I'm not here just because I get out of it. That's secondary. But I'm here because I want Jesus to be known. I want his people to flourish. And that cost, I mean, that cost may mean making other choices in your life. Do you know, in the northwest, in the, the diocese um, where Tom and I met, um, for about 15 years, the most generous church in giving per head was in, in a city, a parish called New Ferry, which is an urban priority area, working class. And the reason was, was because the Christians there had such a love for their community, that they said, well, actually, we haven't got the energy and the resources to, to make all the efforts to, say, reach our young people. So we, we won't go on holiday. We'll put the money for our holidays into funding a youth work. We'll put our, the money from um, upgrading the car into trying to help um, the local ministry uh, build a community centre. And, and the, the congregation there, awesomely, sacrificed all of these things that for 15 years they were the most generous not the leafy suburbs of Wilmslow or even where I was in Cheadle and um, the ones who had the resources these were people with nothing who willingly freely gave them because they loved because they were in love with the one who loved them that much and the point is that spectators don't make a difference like that but disciples do and here's how Jesus put it, it's there in verse 34. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor the manure heap, it's thrown out. He's saying, you're called to be salt. Now, don't worry about whether he's talking about, um, you know, giving flavor to things or preserving things or, you know, making sure your cars don't skid on the road. It's not the point of what salt is used for that Jesus is getting at. He just simply is saying, if salt isn't salty... It's not salt. Whatever white powder it is, it isn't salt if it isn't salty. 
if followers of Jesus don't actually follow him, they're not followers. If people who proclaim the love of Jesus don't actually love like Jesus, then they're not truly in love with Jesus. If our lives make no difference to others, if we have no reputation for caring, for serving, if it costs us nothing, then whatever else we put on our Facebook page, if you're not salty, you're not salt. If you're not following, you're not following. We know Jesus got angry very little. You know what made him angry? Hypocrites. The times he lost it with people who were religious and pretended, or times where people exploited faith for money, you know, the money changers and the things like that. Why? Because the love of God loves, and the people who love God ought to love. And that love it should be a passion that changes who we are, that shapes what we are. You know, for 200 years, this place has been built up because people wanted to know that following Jesus is worth the cost. He's changed us, therefore we love you to join in with that change. And the change he makes is our relationships, our reputation, our time and our energy. We are worth it because he thinks we are. We're worth forgiving and giving a new life. We're worth loving despite our failures. We're worth strengthening despite of our weaknesses. And we're worth honoring despite all of our shame. And that's the message of a man who never lied. And that's the hope he gives from a man who's conquered death. And he, if you haven't done this already to you, will change your life forever with that peace and that joy and that love and that purpose that he promises. Because that's what he lives for. And that's why following him means following him in a life that does that. So 200 years on, I should be here to say, are you up for this, St. John's Downshire Hill? Are you up for living the love of Jesus in this place with his power for his glory? Are you going to let the vision that takes the next 200 years of this place Build something new. Because out there they need it. Trust me. I know I've been the other side of that fence. There is little hope and peace and joy. A third of our young people have mental health problems that are referred. And another third of them have them unreferred. We are messing up a generation. Because we're depriving them of the love of Jesus Christ. We're here for them. Are you here for that? And I'm not just saying, you know, will you join up a group or something or do another job in the church? It's saying, will you love Jesus enough to let that love cost you? Because you'll let his love shape you. So maybe your relationships need to not just be focused on the family. Maybe you need to give some time to the thousands in the community who haven't heard this. You know, has anybody ever spoken to the person in the house over there? I mean, it's hard. There's an answer phone. It's not an answer phone, what they call those little things on the doors. It's, that's a bit costly to ring up and say, do you fancy coming? We're here for them. Or, or maybe, actually, you've never really followed Jesus and you're here today. You like, the church is nice and people are nice, there's good food and, you know, I'm looking forward to that. Not the only reason I'm here, but hey. Good music, good moral frame. Jesus isn't offering a comfortable, respectable life. He's saying, I want a passionate love affair. 
I want you to love people like I love. I want you to know the peace and forgiveness that I died to bring you. But it's going to change you. Your priorities, your relationships, your reputation. And he's saying here, I don't want to deceive you, there is a cost. This is the cost, but it's more than worth it because love is more than worth it. And this love will set your life on fire, will set your life in a new direction, and it will last forever. Why wouldn't you be into it? I don't know, but Jesus says, you need to know I'm listening. I'm looking for the choices you're making. And this is a message of hope. And if you're saying to yourself today, well, I've never really thought of it like that, and I know I think I've had Christianity on the back burner, and maybe I've just sort of turned up because it suited me and I wanted a bit of religious therapy. Let me say, love's more than that. And actually, I'd love to encourage you to go a bit more deeper in. Thursday, the Hope Explored course is a brilliant way of starting that. If you're just saying, I want to I work this through because I sort of get the idea that if God really is like this, like Jesus, then that's going to change the way that I am. But it's a big risk. I need to count the cost. Well, going to Hope Explored is a way of doing that. Listen to what it says. It just covers things that Jesus says. It looks at the heart of what Christians believe. Start there if you've never started before. But you know, I can look around and I think there's quite a lot of us here who know these things are true, but we've had the faith in the box. It's not the thing that's driven everything, it's the thing that we fit in when everything else is in the right place. And to you, I want to say what Jesus is saying here. Salt is good. If it loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? If salt isn't salty, it's not salt. And what this community needs is what this church has always stood for. A beacon of light, of hope, of purpose, of peace, of joy, of love for the community. One that looks outward and flows outward with a renewed enthusiasm where we're a team and a family together sharing and showing the love of Jesus Christ. And that is good news. That is profoundly hopeful in a hopeless world. And that's a foundation that will not just something you can build your life on, but something that you can build eternity on. So St. John's down Hill, are you up for this? Because he is up for you. He was up on the cross for you. And he will love you to the very end and beyond. So let his love be your love and let his future be your future and let his hope shape your hope. He is worth it. Let me pray. God, our Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus is so honest here. And we know the cost his love has for us. We know because he went to that cross. He chose to sacrifice himself for us. He chose to deal with the mess of our lives, our sinful selfishness, by dying for us. But Lord, forgive us when following you has looked more like therapy than life, when it's looked more like an add-on than the center. Renew our love, even this morning, the love that built this place, the love that continues to build this place, that changes lives and brings hope and peace. Fill us again with that love that this community will know and beyond. 
that knowing you is the best of the best and loving you is the deepest of joys. So Lord Jesus, reign in us again as we share your good news and show the world that you are the king. And we ask it for your name's sake. Amen.